0: Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. Thank you for joining us during this unusual time. I've heard lots of words used about this time and passage of time, but I settle with unusual because it is unusual in all ways, and because I sense that no matter what is going on, I am confident that we know that God is in charge of it. How it will end up, we don't know. He asks us to wait and be patient with him. We talked a few days ago about courage and the courage it takes to be a good listener. And I pray that you are making time to listen to God. I pray that you are making time to listen to your family members, your husband, your children, who you are no doubt interacting with a bit more than normal to the people you love or who you can't be with. Mm, I pray you're making time for the elderly and um, doing whatever you can to contribute to the very closest circle of people that God has given you breath and death over. Been talking about courage the last few days and the last way we were together, I told you that I was going to talk about three women in the Bible who were extraordinarily, extraordinarily Courageous. First was Tamar, who was courageous when someone lied to her, deceived her, told her things that he never meant to fulfill. Today we're going to look at two more of these five women who are part of the genealogy of Christ, and that is Ruth, who was a woman of courage when she had no place to go. She had no place to go, and lastly. Bathsheba. And I always make the joke because I, I think it's so true. Bathsheba has a reputation that is horrendous. No one I've ever met named their daughter Bathsheba because we have this picture of what Bathsheba did. And I, I'd like to give you a slightly different picture of what happened to her. So today let's look at the book of Ruth Um, Before I do that, let me remind you one more thing. Uh, The next few lessons will be uh, re airs of subjects that I have taught before, Um, living through a difficult time, embracing change and suffering. God is for you. Never forget that God is for you. No matter what's going on around you, God is for you. Um, a lesson that I love, the Sermon on the Mount, any, any part of the passages of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I just love opening those passages and reading them and teaching from them. But I especially like the passage where Christ himself gives this outline. And for those of us who do any kind of speaking, you know you should have three points and a poem. Well, God doesn't have a poem, but he has three points and they're the same. Be not anxious, be not anxious, be not anxious. So join me in these sessions that are talking about what we are living through in the pandemic 2020. So Ruth, short book, book of Ruth is four chapters long. You find it early in your Bible. Ruth is a loving woman. She's loving to her mother-in-law. God thought of everything. Mother-in-laws in in America were not quite the same as they were mother-in-laws in in these days, mother-in-laws. And I'm always a little uh, put off, even before I became a mother-in-law. And I don't think I've ever heard my son-in-law make a mother-in-law joke. Hmm, Maybe I should ask him if he makes them behind my back. (laughs) I think he'd probably tell me if he did. But there are a lot of jokes about mother in laws, and most of them I don't think are very funny. But um, this is a, a sincere and honest look at uh, women and the mother in law, of which I am one, and a faithful woman, and a Moab, a woman who was a stranger. Now, she was not welcome, but she had such loving ways she won her place as a beloved daughter-in-law, wife and mother. And when we open up this book of Ruth and we look at the first five verses, we see that Naomi has a husband and two sons. Then we see that her husband dies and that her son takes sons take wives and then her sons die. Now we talked about Tamar, the last time we were together, and the circumstances of the Mosaic law. And these five verses, which I'm going to read to you, uh, are amazing in that they set up the circumstances of alone, they set up the circumstances to help us see that choices matter. And here we see Ruth making a choice. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab he and his wife and two sons the name of the man was elimelech and the name of his wife was naomi and the name of his two sons was malon and chilion they were ephrathites from bethlehem in judah they went into the country of moab and remained there but elimelech the husband of naomi died and she was left with her two sons then These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpha, and the name of the other was Ruth. And when they had lived there about 10 years, both Malan and Chilion died also, so that the women were left without her two sons and without her husband. Now, this sets us up for what happens next in verses 6 through 16. And Naomi prepares to return to her own homeland. She sends the girls back to their own homes in hopes that they will find the second husbands. So this wasn't like the culture we live in today. Your husband dies and you stay in the house or the apartment. Uh, You continue working. Uh, You raise the children. Uh, Without a husband, without a father, women were left. They were unprotected they were unattended to they were uncared for so in naomi's case sending these two daughters back to their father's houses was the good and right thing to do it wasn't because she was trying to get rid of them she had no husband to protect them she couldn't protect them and now they had no husbands to protect them but unlike the story we heard Naomi had no more sons. We heard about Judah and Tamar and the first two sons who were killed by God and the third son. Well, Naomi only had two sons. So she had no husband, no hope for a husband for either one of her daughters. And it appears that Ruth does not have a place to go. Her homeland, as she sees it now, is with her home, with Naomi in Naomi's home. Moab has God's, plural, versus Naomi's, one true living God. And so Ruth is making a choice, and without hope of uh, another husband, she's making a choice, and she's making a very profound pledge to Naomi to stay with her. Now, Naomi, remember, has come with Elimelech, And they come believing in the one true living God. And in verse 16, we see But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do thus. And so to me, and more as well, if death ever parts from me. Now, this scene is so powerful to me because the God of Naomi has been a powerful witness to Ruth. She's a Moabite, she has many gods, and now she has come to live with Naomi and her husband and ruth's husband and Chilion and his wife orpha and they're all living together in this environment and she makes a choice even without the hope of another husband in the house of naomi and she says i'm not turning back we often hear this verse used in wedding ceremonies where you people will be my people and your God will be my God. But this has a much more powerful impact because we know that Ruth did not have a God of her own. There were many gods, but she has watched the one true living God reside in the lives of Naomi and Elimelech. And so she wants to stay. So no wonder we take these words into marriage. Um, Then comes the romance with Boaz. Now, Ruth's courage is courage upon courage. She seems to be doing the right things at the right time, and this is the definition of wisdom. Wisdom is not knowing something. Wisdom is knowing when to use something you know. Ruth is modest and meek and loyal and courteous, gentle, yet she chooses her ways to get what she knows they want and they need In verse eighteen when they Na- saw that she was determined to go with her she said no more she said no more the word determined there doesn't tell me not to go with you she says i am going with you and don't try to talk me out of it there's some talk about whether they're good-looking girls or not good-looking girls But she's certainly headed to be a stranger in a new land, a widow with an uncertain future. Yet while destitute, she has a spirit of love and graciousness and honors her husband and his memory by honoring his mother. Now, girls, the women of you who are listening, if you haven't learned About the male child's relationship to his mother, and you're married to a man. Well, first I hope that the light bulb goes on there. I married David William Otto, and his mother called him David till the day she died. No one ever called him Dave. He occasionally would have a colleague who would take liberty and call him Dave. And after David and I had been married, I don't know, maybe 10 years, Something happened between my mother-in-law and her son David that was just like, Oh my gosh, he is a fair-haired child. Like he has a sister, but there's nobody like the David, the booty boy. And David came home and I said, Well, Davy baby, and he said, Pardon me. And I said, Well, you are Davy baby. Your your mother treats you. And we have this laugh over it. But I want you to know, there was a laugh over it. There were times when I didn't like it, because there were times when I thought my mother-in-law was taking the side of David, whether it was right or wrong. Uh, She also took my side frequently, but never over David's side. And so this, this is this relationship that Ruth recognizes that she's honoring her deceased husband by honoring his mother. And so we see her to be selfless. She gives up what she does not have, her country. She hopes for a second marriage, but the chances are it will not happen. And they travel 120 miles back to Palestine. Now they are poor, they are walking, most likely, 120 miles. I trained a few years ago to walk the Camino Santo, which was 500 miles, and I was doing it on a pilgrimage, a spiritual pilgrimage. They were doing it of necessity. They, they might have had a donkey, but not likely, based on their financial situation. And when she gets there, she gets um, the realization that there's no one there to support the mother-in-law, or herself. And sometimes I think, I wonder how I would feel about Anissa if um, that would happen to her, if, if this kind of event happened in her life. The courage comes for Ruth from an obedience to the call. Uh, she's not pushy, she works and she waits and she trusts and um, she serves. And Boaz finds her in chapter 2. Remember, the book of Ruth is only uh, four four chapters long. And this is the second chapter, verse 12. And he says, May the Lord reward you for your deeds. And may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. May the Lord reward you and your wages be full from the Lord. And what happens here is a beautiful love story, not a story that would happen today. But they marry, and they conceive, and they give birth. And then the women say to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. Now think of what has happened to Naomi this book is called Ruth. It's about what Ruth does, it's what what her daughter-in-law does to love her so well. But it is about what happens to Naomi and of course Ruth's name winds up in the genealogy of Jesus Christ because of her famous redeeming role because of her marriage to Boaz. And verse 15 of a chapter 4. Well let's let's see Let's read 14 and 15 together. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when they came together, the Lord made her conceive and she bore a son. And then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you these days without a next of kin or a redeemer. That was the word they used for next of kin. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, had you born them. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse the father of David. It's a powerful story. Um, in in Samuel, we see um, Hannah, who is trying to have a child, and her husband doesn't understand how hard and how much she wants a child. And he says, "Am I not better than ten sons?" In the culture of Israel, a son was everything. Remember. Women were not valued, they were not prized. They were considered less valuable than animals. And so here, this daughter-in-law who, who proves herself to be worthy, Boaz recognized her, he takes her to be his wife, she bears a child, and in the end of Naomi's life, she is literally nursing her grandson and says that these are better than having seven sons. Her knowledge of what, what this all looked like does not get in the way of doing what she finds is the right things to do. Ruth was a woman of courage who did opposite of what anybody else would have done. I, I happened to see her as a woman who was left with no place to go but a woman who still made a choice instead of feeling like she was choiceless. And in that choice, she chose Naomi's God. Courage is necessary to be obedient. And I've been looking for the author of this quote for decades. And that quote goes, Emotion always follows obedience. Remember, what is right is always right, no matter how few people are doing it, and what is wrong is always wrong, no matter how many people are doing it. And Ruth did something that most women of her day don't do. She's so notable that there's a small book in the Old Testament with her name on it, and her name is listed in the genealogy of Jesus. She never expected when she made that decision to follow Naomi and to follow Naomi's God, that this would be her fate. Well, lastly, I want to talk about Bethsheba, a woman of courage when she faces shame. And I laughingly say, did you name your daughter Bethsheba?" I did not. Why did you not? Well, I think we have a very um, tainted picture of what happened In the life of this very beautiful woman who is doing what all women of her economic strata do when it's hot. Now I live in Arizona and we have lived here for 42 years and we have always had a pool in the backyard because when it is hot there is nothing that will cool you down like the pool even if the pool is 90 degrees in water. I always remarked about it. Oh, it's so hot. The water is so hot. It's like taking a bath. But it didn't matter. When I got out of the pool, my body was totally wet. My hair was wet. My swimsuit was wet. And there was a chill. There's a chill because the wetness against even the hot temperature brought coolness. So that is exactly what Bathsheba was doing. In those days, in her land, the pools were on the rooftop. And she had gone to her rooftop to bathe in her pool because it was hot. She was minding her own business, doing a very natural thing. I think we often hear that story as if she was up there seducing, you know, taking off her clothes one piece at a time in front of David. She was not. She was not doing that. She was minding her own business. And I've often said this because I've often thought it about myself. I wonder... I wonder what I would do if the leader of the free world called me and said, could you come to my office for lunch tomorrow? My husband had the enormous privilege of praying with President Bush Jr. And he was in the Oval Office and he said it it was extraordinary. He said, first of all, meeting a president in his office has a power to it alone, but President Bush was very charismatic and very open to David, who had come to pray with him, representing the national prayer team, which in those days there were millions of people who were praying for the president every day. So this is King David. He's akin to the leader of the free world, and he says, come. I don't know what I would have done. But I think I would have gone. And he actually, if you paint the picture of him, he's the leader. And in those days, the leader was always in battle. Now, his country had gone to battle, and they were all out at battle, but he was not. You can read into that anything you want. His key men, including Bathsheba's husband, was in the battle. But David was at home, King David and he was if you'll excuse him not taking liberty here but he was looking at her i won't say he was gawking at her but he was looking at her obviously he had seen her maybe he should have gone inside but he didn't and so he calls her she goes and she does not have to give in to him i know that i think she would have fought and resisted and probably not had to give in to him I don't know what his line was. I don't know what he said to her. I only know from what the scripture says that he was the king. And the king was an amazingly powerful person. A few friends of mine and I had been talking during this pandemic thing. We've been talking together about huge subjects. And we get on a Zoom call and uh, we pick a subject. How about uh, this, one of the subjects we picked was grace. Another one was the promised land. What and where is the promised land? We just decided to go big. Last week, when we were together, we talked about the kingdom of God. Where is the kingdom of God? Who is the kingdom of God? And there were so many powerful pictures. But I remembered thinking, who is the king? The world is the kingdom because the king, who is God, Created it. Now, there are lots of worlds and lots of countries and lots of governments and lots and lots of, but all of us are subject to the king, the God who created us in his image. Well, King David was pretty much right up there. The Israelites had wanted a king. They got Saul. They got David. He was tall and studly and good looking. And uh, she said, Yes, whatever happened. They did it. She conceives. She's a married woman in a town where everybody knows her name. You know the cheer show you want to be where everybody knows your name? Well, she is now pregnant in a town where everybody knows her name. And she sends word to David, but it is her shame, both internally and externally. And then they count months and they wait for this child to be born. But in the meantime, David takes matters into his own hands and he tries to get Bathsheba's husband to come back from the battle, Uriah was his name. And um, when he comes back from the battle, he will go home to his wife and he will sleep with his wife. And then his wife will believe that the child she is carrying is his child. Pretty tricky, don't you think? I have to tell you, In these moments, I think I'm not a big fan of King David when I read these things. Now, King David is the writer of so many of the Psalms, including words that God has called him a man after God's own heart. But I also see King David as very repentant and penitent. He tries to get Uriah to come home when Uriah comes home. But because Uriah is such a man of character... He says, I cannot be sleeping with my wife and enjoying the fruits of marriage when all of my men are out in the field. And so he doesn't sleep with Bathsheba. Ah, David's plans are foiled. And then he sends Uriah back and he tells Uriah's counterpart, whatever Uriah says, send him out into the fields, into the front of the battle. We all know what happens. Uriah is killed in the battle. And this baby, conceived, is born, and this baby dies. And David is is wrecked and torn in two. And he weeps and mourns. And then Bathsheba and he are now married. They live together. They lose this child together. They have another child together whose name is Solomon. And they move past the shame of what Bathsheba lived through. And she becomes a woman in, again, the line of Jesus, the lineage, the genealogy of Jesus. Now, I think what I see in this is a woman who is very forgiving. She took the courage to acknowledge and confess sin to God, and she made choices that mattered for the future. She was a woman who was shamed. She was shamed. And we shame ourselves. We are shamed by others. But so often that shame comes in and ruins our life. Bathsheba had been shamed of her own accord, of the king's accord. They lost the child. She lost her husband. Uh, It was all over the town. But she makes a choice for her future. She makes a choice to not live in the bondage of shame, but to live to the future, to raise her son Solomon, to find her name written in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. I don't know. Maybe if I were having another daughter, I might call her Bathsheba. Bathsheba to me is a woman of courage. She stands against what is true, what is shameful, what is hurtful, what is embarrassing. Have you ever had any of those things happen to you? Is it embarrassing for you to live in the conditions that we are living in in the pandemic? Are you embarrassed that you don't have as much as your next door neighbor, perhaps? Are you embarrassed because you're not as skilled in the teacher role in homeschooling your children? Are you slightly ashamed that you and your husband didn't handle your finances better or you didn't handle your finances better? Whatever there has ever been in your life that has caused you shame, someone did it to you or unto you or you did it to yourself, will you remember this courageous woman, Bathsheba, who said, this will not be the way I will live my future. I will be courageous and take what God has for me. Well, Tamar, an outrageous act of courage when she had been lied to, and Ruth, whose obedience as an act of courage allowed her to bless and honor Naomi, her mother-in-law, and Bathsheba, whose shame could have done her in for the rest of her life, but did not. These are extraordinary acts of courage. And we are women who live in the 21st century and have an opportunity to take this time during the pandemic to think about our own levels of courage, to see how we can encourage our loved ones to be more courageous, to do acts of courage during this time when people are in need. I wanna give you three words that I think represent what courage looks like. It's cheerful, it's confident, and it's accepting. It's accepting. Whatever it is, wherever you are, whatever you are laboring through in this terribly difficult time, we are all going to know someone who has died or has been ill or is hospitalized because of this disease, this virus, this COVID-19. Can you accept that? Can you be confident that your God is the king? Not King David, a man, but the king of the universe, the creator of all things. And can you be cheerful? Can you be cheerful? I've been thinking about this quite a lot, and I'm going to close with this today. I can recognize when I'm not very cheerful. My husband recognizes it first and faster than I do. But he'll ask me something. And when he does, I always recognize that he has recognized that I've lost a little of my cheerfulness. Now, cheerfulness is something I can choose. But for me, the undergirding fact of cheerfulness is the joy of the Lord in my being. And I have this little formula. It looks like this. It's found out of John chapter 15. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And he doesn't say that conditionally. It's a formula. It's my formula anyway. Keeping his commandments causes me to abide in him. And there I find my joy. So when I feel less cheerful or I notice I'm not, or I feel like my joy factor has gone down, I want to look and see what is it that I'm doing that may not be following the commands of my God broadly and to me specifically. Has he asked you to do something you haven't done? Maybe he's calling you to do something you don't want to do. And it's his voice and you know it. And you're not doing it and so you're not as abiding with him. You're not as close to him. We can never be as close to Jesus abide with him with the intimacy that we can have when we're not doing the things he calls us to do. Consequently, our joy is drained. So these women, I believe, were courageous and joyful because of their courage. And I'm asking you this day, as a follower of Christ, as a woman who listens to Modern Homemakers, will you consider today what level your joy is? How often you're choosing cheerfulness? And is there some courageous act that God is calling you to do? Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and be uncommon today with deeds and acts of godly courage.